Welcome to the Horror Babble Podcast. Mother of Toads by Clark Ashton Smith Why must you always hurry away, my little one? The voice of Mere Antoinette, the witch, was an amorous croaking. She ogled Pierre, the apothecary's young apprentice, with eyes full-orbed and unblinking as those of a toad. The folds beneath her chin swelled like the throat of some great batrachian. Her short, flat fingers, outspread on her soiled apron, revealed an appearance as of narrow webs between their first flanges. Pierre Baudon, as usual, gave no answer, but turned his eyes from Mère Antoinette with an air of impatience. Her voice, raucously coaxing, persisted. "'Stay a while to-night, my pretty orphan. No one will miss you in the village, and your master was not mine.' Pierre tossed his head with the disdain of a young Adonis. The witch was more than twice his age, and her charms were too uncouth and unsavoury to tempt him for an instant. She was repellently fat and lumpish, and her skin possessed an unwholesome pallor. Also, her repute was such as to have nullified the attractions of a younger and fairer sorceress. Her witchcraft had made her feared among the peasantry of that remote province, where belief in spells and philters was still common. The people of Averroin called her La Mère de Crapon, Mother of Toads, a name given for more than one reason. Toads swarmed innumerably about her hut. They were said to be her familiars, and dark tales were told concerning their relationship to the sorceress, and the duties they performed at her bidding. Such tales were all the more readily believed, because of those Batrachian features that had always been remarked in her aspect. The youth disliked her, even as he disliked the sluggish, abnormally large toads on which he had sometimes trodden in the dusk, upon the path between her hut and the village of Leibou. He could hear some of these creatures croaking now, and it seemed, weirdly, that they uttered half-articulate echoes of the witch's words. It would be dark soon, he reflected. The path along the marshes was not pleasant by night, and he felt doubly anxious to depart. Still without replying to Mayor Antoinette's invitation, he reached for the black triangular vial she had set before him on her greasy table. The vial contained a filter of curious potency, which his master, alone Le Dandon, had sent him to procure. Le Dandon, the village apothecary, was wont to deal surreptitiously in certain dubious medicaments supplied by the witch, and Pierre had often gone on such errands to her osier-hidden hut. The old apothecary, whose humour was rough and ribald, had sometimes rallied Pierre concerning Mère Antoinette's preference for him. Remembering certain admonitory jibes, more witty than decent, the boy flushed angrily as he turned to go. "'Stay,' insisted Mère Antoinette. "'The fog is cold on the marshes, and it thickens apace. I knew that you were coming, and I have mulled for you a goodly measure of the red wine of Zeme.' She removed the lid from an earthen pitcher, and poured its steaming contents into a large cup. The purplish-red wine creamed delectably, and an odour of hot, delicious spices filled the hut, overpowering the less agreeable odours from the simmering cauldron, the half-dried newts, vipers, bat-wings, and evil, nauseous herbs hanging on the walls, and the reek of the black candles of pitch and 
corpse tallow that burned always, by noon or night, in that murky interior. "'I'll drink it,' said Pierre, a little grudgingly. "'That is, if it contains nothing of your own concoction. "'Tis naught but sound wine, four seasons old, with spices of Arabia,' the sorceress croaked ingratiatingly. "'Twill warm your stomach, and—' She added something inaudible, as Pierre accepted the cup. Before drinking, he inhaled the fumes of the beverage with some caution, but was reassured by its pleasant smell. Surely it was innocent of any drug, any filter brewed by the witch, for, to his knowledge, her preparations were all evil-smelling. Still, as if warned by some premonition, he hesitated. Then he remembered that the sunset air was indeed chill, that mists had gathered furtively behind him as he came to Mère Antoinette's dwelling. The wine would fortify him for the dismal return walk to Les Bou. He quaffed it quickly, and set down the cup. "'Truly, it is good wine,' he declared. "'But I must go now.' Even as he spoke, he felt in his stomach and veins the spreading warmth of the alcohol, of the spices, of something more ardent than these. It seemed that his voice was unreal and strange, falling as if from a height above him. The warmth grew, mounting within him like a golden flame fed by magic oils. His blood, a seething torrent, poured tumultuously and more tumultuously through his members. There was a deep, soft thundering in his ears, a rosy dazzlement in his eyes. Somehow, the hut appeared to expand, to change luminously about him. He hardly recognized its squalid furnishings, its litter of baleful ottomans, on which a torrid splendor was shed by the black candles, tipped with ruddy fire, that towered and swelled gigantically into the soft gloom. His blood burned, as with the throbbing flame of the candles. It came to him, for an instant, that all this was a questionable enchantment, a glamour wrought by the witch's wine. Fear was upon him, and he wished to flee. Then, close beside him, he saw Mère Antoinette. Briefly, he wondered why he had thought her old and gross and repulsive, for it seemed that he looked upon Lilith, the first witch. The lumpish limbs and body had grown voluptuous. The pale, thick-lipped mouth enticed him with a promise of ampler kisses than any other mouths could yield. He knew why the magic warmth mounted ever higher and hotter within him. "'Do you like me now, my little one?' she questioned. Pierre awoke in the ashy dawn, when the tall black tapers had dwindled down and had melted limply in their sockets. Sick and confused, he sought vainly to remember where he was, or what he had done. Then, turning a little, he saw beside him on the couch a thing that was like some impossible monster of ill dreams, a toad-like form, large as a fat woman. Its limbs were somehow like a woman's arms and legs. Its pale, warty body pressed and bulged against him, and he felt the rounded softness of something that resembled a breast. Nausea rose within him, as memory of that delirious night returned. Most foully, he had been beguiled by the witch, and had succumbed to her evil enchantments. It seemed that an incubus smothered him, weighing upon all his limbs and body. He shut his eyes, 
that he might no longer behold the loathsome thing that was mere Antoinette in her true semblance. Slowly, with prodigious effort, he drew himself away from the crushing nightmare shape. It did not stir or appear to waken, and he slid quickly from the couch. Again, compelled by a noisome fascination, he peered at the thing on the couch, and saw only the gross form of Mere Antoinette. Perhaps his impression of a great toad beside him had been but an illusion, a half-dream that lingered after slumber. He lost something of his nightmarish horror, but his gorge still rose in a sick disgust, remembering the lewdness to which he had yielded. Fearing that the witch might awaken at any moment and seek to detain him, he stole noiselessly from the hut. It was broad daylight, but a cold, hueless mist lay everywhere, shrouding the reedy marshes and hanging like a ghostly curtain on the path he must follow, to lay Boo. Moving and seething always, the mist seemed to reach toward him with intercepting fingers as he started homeward. He shivered at its touch, he bowed his head and drew his cloak closer around him. Thicker and thicker the mist swirled, coiling, writhing endlessly, as if to bar Pierre's progress. He could discern the twisting, narrow path for only a few paces in advance. It was hard to find the familiar landmarks, hard to recognize the osiers and willows that loomed suddenly before him like grey phantoms, and faded again into the white nothingness as he went onward. Never had he seen such fog. It was like the blinding, stifling fumes of a thousand witch-stirred cauldrons. Though he was not altogether sure of his surroundings, Pierre thought that he had covered half the distance to the village. Then, all at once, he began to meet the toads. They were hidden by the mist till he came close upon them. Misshapen, unnaturally big and bloated, they squatted in his way on the little footpath, or hopped sluggishly before him from the pallid gloom on either hand. Several struck against his feet with a horrible and heavy flopping. He stepped unaware upon one of them, and slipped in the squashy noisomeness it had made, barely saving himself from a headlong fall on the bog's rim. Black, miry water gloomed close beside him as he staggered there. Turning to regain his path, he crushed others of the toads to an abhorrent pulp under his feet. The marshy soil was alive with them. They flopped against him from the mist, striking his legs, his bosom, his very face with their clammy bodies. They rose up by scores like a devil-driven legion. It seemed that there was a malignance, an evil purpose in their movements, in the buffeting of their violent impact. He could make no progress on the swarming path, but lurched to and fro, slipping blindly and shielding his face with lifted hands. He felt an eerie consternation, an eldritch horror. It was as if the nightmare of his awakening in the witch's hut had somehow returned upon him. The toads came always from the direction of Le Bou, as if to drive him back toward Mere Antoinette's dwelling. They bounded against him like a monstrous hail, like missiles flung by unseen demons. The ground was covered by them, the air was filled with their hurtling bodies. Once he nearly went down beneath them. Their numbers seemed to increase, they pelted him in a noxious storm. He gave way before them, his courage broke, and he started to run at random, without knowing that he had left the safe path. Losing all thought of direction, 
In his frantic desire to escape from those impossible myriads, he plunged on amid the dim reeds and sedges, over ground that quivered gelatinously beneath him. Always at his heels, he heard the soft, heavy flopping of the toads, and sometimes they rose up like a sudden wall to bar his way and turn him aside. More than once, they drove him back from the verge of hidden quagmires, into which he would otherwise have fallen. It was as if they were hurting him deliberately and concertedly to a destined goal. Now, like the lifting of a dense curtain, the mist rolled away, and Pierre saw before him, in a golden dazzle of morning sunshine, the green, thick-growing osiers that surrounded Mere Antoinette's hut. The toads had all disappeared, though he could have sworn that hundreds of them were hopping close about him an instant previously. With a feeling of helpless fright and panic, he knew that he was still within the witch's toils, that the toads were indeed her familiars, as so many people believed them to be. They had prevented his escape, and had brought him back to the foul creature, whether woman, Petrachian, or both, who was known as the Mother of Toads. Pierre's sensations were those of one who sinks momently deeper into some black and bottomless quicksand. He saw the witch emerge from the hut and come toward him, her thick fingers, with pale folds of skin between them like the beginnings of a web, were stretched and flattened on the steaming cup that she carried. A sudden gust of wind arose as if from nowhere, and bore to Pierre's nostrils the hot, familiar spices of the drugged wine. "'Why did you leave so hastily, my little one?' There was an amorous wheedling in the very tone of the witch's question. "'I should not have let you go without another cup of the good red wine, mulled and spiced for the warming of your stomach.' See, I have prepared it for you, knowing that you would return. She came very close to him as she spoke, leering and sidling, and held the cup toward his lips. Pierre grew dizzy with the strange fumes, and turned his head away. It seemed that a paralyzing spell had seized his muscles, for the simple movement required an immense effort. His mind, however, was still clear, and the sick revulsion of that nightmare dawn returned upon him. He saw again the great toad that had lain at his side when he awakened. "'I will not drink your wine,' he said firmly. "'You are a foul witch, and I loathe you. Let me go.' "'Why do you loathe me?' croaked Mare Antoinette. "'I can give you all that other women give, and more.' "'You are not a woman,' said Pierre. "'You are a big toad. I saw you in your true shape this morning.' I'd rather drown in the marsh waters than stay with you again." An indescribable change came upon the sorceress, before Pierre had finished speaking. The leer slid from her thick and pallid features, leaving them blankly inhuman for an instant. Then her eyes bulged and goggled horribly, and her whole body appeared to swell, as if inflated with venom. "'Go, then!' she spat with a guttural virulence. "'But you will soon wish that you had stayed!' The queer paralysis had lifted from Pierre's muscles. It was as if the injunction of the angry witch had served to revoke an insidious, half-woven spell. With no parting glance or word, Pierre turned from her and fled with long, hasty steps, almost running, on the path to Le Bou. He had gone little more than a hundred paces when the fog began to return. 
It coiled shoreward in vast volumes from the marshes. It poured like smoke from the very ground at his feet. Almost instantly, the sun dimmed to a one silver disk, and disappeared. The blue heavens were lost in the pale and seething voidness overhead. The path before Pierre was blotted out, till he seemed to walk on the sheer rim of a white abyss that moved with him as he went. Like the clammy arms of spectres, with death-chill fingers that clutched and caressed, the weird mists drew closer still about Pierre. They thickened in his nostrils and throat. They dripped in a heavy dew from his garments. They choked him with the fetter of rank waters and putrescent ooze, and the stenches of liquefying corpses that had risen somewhere to the surface amid the fen. Then, from the blank whiteness, the toads assailed Pierre in a surging, solid wave that towered above his head and swept him from the dim path with the force of falling seas as it descended. He went down, splashing and floundering, into water that swarmed with the numberless batrachians. Foul slime was in his mouth and nose as he struggled to regain his footing. The water, however, was only knee-deep, and the bottom, though slippery and oozy, supported him with little yielding when he stood erect. He discerned indistinctly through the mist the nearby margin from which he had fallen, but his steps were weirdly and horribly hampered by the toad-seething waters when he strove to reach it. Inch by inch, with a hopeless panic deepening upon him, he fought toward the solid shore. The toads leaped and tumbled about him with a dizzying, eddy-like motion. They swirled like a viscid undertow around his feet and shins. They swept and swirled in great loathsome undulations against his retarded knees. However, he made slow and painful progress, till his outstretched fingers could almost grasp the wiry sedges that trailed from the low bank. Then, from that mist-bound shore, there fell and broke upon him a second deluge of these demoniac toads, and Pierre was borne helplessly backward into the filthy waters. Held down by the piling and crawling masses, and drowning in nauseous darkness at the thick oozed bottom, he clawed feebly at his assailants. For a moment, ere oblivion came, his fingers found among them the outlines of a monstrous form that was somehow toad-like, but large and heavy as a fat woman. Hello, ladies and gents, Ian here. Be sure to pop on over to our YouTube channel or Facebook page for regular updates. If you'd like to support our work, please consider taking a look at our Patreon or Bandcamp pages, or search for us on Audible. You'll find links to everything on our website, horrorbabble.com forward slash links.